Well, hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Park Hill Podcast once again. My name's Evan Wickham, and uh, I'm one of the pastors at the church. And this is our interview series to enrich our teaching series on Sunday. It's called God Breathed, where we're learning how to, relearning how to read and trust the scriptures. And uh, on Sundays, it, there's these big picture themes we're talking about and how how the whole Bible leads up to Jesus and how the gospel is that God has come among us and through the life, death, teachings, burial, resurrection of Jesus and the gift of the Spirit, we are the family of God. We who admit our need for God's forgiveness and healing through Christ, we become God's family. And the Bible points us to that reality. That's Sunday. And 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 we, we, we mention on Sunday how we have all of these other questions about the Bible, and they're all important. And the most important is that we know we can bring our questions to God. We can bring our questions into the presence of God in the church. So that's why we're doing this series, to kind of get in the weeds a little bit in a helpful way. And we have just some really gifted leaders that have agreed to come and speak into things at Park Hill. And uh, today I am honored to be dialoguing with none other than uh, Dan Kimball. Dan, welcome to the Park Hill Podcast. Yes, and hello from Santa Cruz down to San Diego, where you are. Yeah. Same coast, different cities. It's warmer down there by you. Yeah, Dan, for context, uh, several people in our church knew who you were right away when I mentioned you'd be um, speaking into into this. Uh, But for those that don't know or have context, maybe you can give like the, the... one, two, three minute elevator pitch. Who is Dan Kimball? What's your journey as it relates to the Bible? Like, how did you first Mm. encounter the Bible? And how did you become now a Bible teacher and a professor? Mm. Um, You're like kind of this hybrid, kind of dream hybrid of like pastor on the ground and professor, trainer of pastors. And, and you were not that at the beginning, you you came to came to faith. And we're not that (laughs) before you came to faith. So why don't you just kind of sum up your your story yeah. with Jesus and Bible and all that? All right. Uh, the two-minute version is uh, Dan Kimball was born in New Jersey, raised right outside of New York City in the suburbs of New York City. Um, didn't have faith growing up, but I was just, I probably believed in a God, but not, didn't have any personalization of him or any, know anything about, was an atheist or I would have been agnostic, probably a God, but didn't think about it. Uh, went to Colorado State University, and while I was at Colorado State University, I was I picked up a little brochure that somebody was giving out one of these tables, these Christian kind of tables, and it was about a brochure that said, Jesus is the only way. And I read this thing, and I'm like, is that what Christians really believe? And I can remember how <laughs> I just had no idea that Christians thought they were the only way, you know, this little pamphlet thing. And it intrigued me so much. And I can I remember exactly where I was sitting when I sat down on this little planter, read this thing, and I'm like, is this really what they believe? And it just got me, it compelled me that question so much. I had nobody saying, go to church, read a Bible, nothing. It was just, if there is God, and this is what this brochure was saying, um, is this correct? And I started just, I bought a Bible, started reading uh, various books, and um, I tried attending the local campus ministry thing they had on campus and i remember and i was into i still am i was totally into punk rock back then and rockabilly and i used to dress 
the part. I was in a band at college, and uh, my hair was like three times higher than it is now. It's the it's whole still thing. very. It's still very high. Your hair is yeah. still nice and rockabilly. It's. I still keep it up some, and then. Uh, but this was actually. I'm getting to this point. It was while I had a Bible, and I had was starting to read some books at the Book on World Religions. Um, I'm, I bought actually. It was a Josh McDowell book too. One of those. And my roommates noticed I was reading these things and I came home one day and it was all quiet when I walked into the living room and I could tell they were talking about me. It was one of these things. I'm like, what's going on? And, uh, and they said, we're worried about you. And my girlfriend at the time was there too and some others. And they started saying, we see that you're reading a Bible and you have these other books and we're concerned about you. And I asked them why, and it was, you know, well, Christians believe the end is going to happen. It was kind of in the end times, frenzy time period. And like, you're going to, it's like, uh, that's, is, are you going to become one of those people? Or are you going to, what the girlfriend at the time said, you're going to lose all your creativity. Christians aren't creative. And I remember all of this. And then the word cult came up. It's like, you're joining a cult. And I can still mm. remember them saying this. They were saying this out of concern, right? It wasn't out of criticism. It was actual sure. concern. And I'm like, you know, people in cults don't realize they're in cults. How do I right. know that Christianity isn't a cult? It's a great and question. That, that got me into, you know, we believe in a dead man that came back to life and appeared to people. Like, you know, when you really start talking to people outside of the faith or have not heard the story before... It's really something to consider. You know, we get so yeah. used to it. And he died on the cross for us, and we every we take communion representing his blood and his body. You know, it's just like you start hearing that for the first time without already knowing these things. It sounds incredibly bizarre and cult-like. I'm just, you know, and they were concerned with me, but it got me to say, I don't want to be in a cult. And it then caused me to go deep into where did this for those that are watching in the video, I'm holding up my Bible. Where did this thing come from? And I got into origins, and I'm like, if this is real, I need to know where this came from because all religions say they have the sacred text or they have mm. some communication with the deity or deities or whatever. And so from day one, I would say I ended up wanting to know, like, how do I know this is true? How do I, you know, I understand why people think it sounds kind of absurd from the outside. And over the time, and speeding it up now, is I ended up uh, putting faith in Jesus. And my sort of the same thing was like, if this is true and he is true, and we're now indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and we are, we have eternal life here and all of eternity, and now I'm making, getting some understanding of the story of human beings and God, people have to know this, right? Like people have to know. Um, and that has exactly been my life's theme since, is people have to know if this is true and I'm forgiven and there's grace and Jesus is who he says he is, I gotta, we have to tell people. And it makes it difficult for an introvert like me because I am not very, you know, I don't like walking up to people, but it ended up getting more and more involved in, uh, started serving in local churches as a volunteer and our close uh, friend that we both have, Phil Comer, mm -hmm. brought me on staff one day a week at Santa Cruz Bible Church way, way back when John Mark, his son, was a little toddler. Oh, he's probably like nine or something at that time. But basically uh, got involved and Phil took me under his wing because he was a drummer and I got involved in a church staff and then went full time and then went to Western Seminary where I'm now a, a VP and a professor. 
where we met in one of the classes. And, mm-hmm. and so it's been like, if this is true, people have to know, but there are really good questions. And I totally understand why people think it's kind of a, it has all types of, um, some are true stereotypes and some aren't true stereotypes about the faith. So that's been a really that's helpful, been my, that's been a really yeah. helpful framework from me that you've given me, um, is, is that, that idea when you hear a pushback to the faith, when you hear someone challenging the faith, just compassion, enter their world. Like, oh, I would absolutely have the same questions and issues if I didn't ha- didn't know what the Bible was doing. I would have the same problems. Like, you that's bet. really you helpful. Uh, just having grown up in in a a different kind of apologetic, where I was I was trained to just have an answer right away rather than have like a, sem- a, a semblance of empathy. And that's, that's kind of what I've always seen from you. And yeah, you were my, you were my professor eight, nine years ago at Western for apologetics and evangelism. And I was expecting that kind of apologetic, like, well, here's three reasons why atheists are wrong or whatever. Um, And yes, we can get to those disagreements, but you started with this place of like, man, imagine, (laughs) imagine you have a loved one that enters a cult and you think it's a cult. Like, what are you, what you, how are you going to process that? Like, no, you bet. It was really, really helpful. Um, well, that was so, a, that incident I shared really was life a life moment because it wasn't them criticizing Christianity or anything. It was my friends who cared about me wanting to know if I'm joining a cult and had concerns about what they heard about the Christian faith. You know, today mm-hmm. there's different concerns that people have in today's culture, but. You know, that's, and I, like we just said, I understand why people don't believe or have reservations. And I think we all should because there's more and more people growing up without any understanding of the Christian faith outside of what they might experience from media or street evangelists or that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And now you are a pastor and a trainer of pastors. And so you definitely believe Jesus is the only way. And, uh, and you would articulate it well and winsomely, and I've heard you do that. And in your book, so so for the listeners, Dan has written several books. Uh, one that we're going to talk about today is uh, titled "How Parentheses Not to Read the Bible," and uh, and the subtitle is awesome: "Making Sense of the Anti-Women, Anti-Science, Pro-Violence, Pro-Slavery, and Other Crazy-Sounding Parts of Scripture." Um, yeah, I mean, that's an attention getter, and I would love to just dive in to some of that. Like, um, how can reading the Bible, or how ha- some have said reading the Bible leads people to become atheists? Yeah. Some, some have said, just read the Bible, and you'll become an atheist if you really know what's in the Bible. And uh, respond to that, and, and I know that's why you wrote the book, but just would you respond to that sentiment from those that are really challenging Scripture in that way? Yeah, I would say like there's two two types. One is uh, I grew up outside of a church environment, and I'd never actually read the Bible. And I met a girl. She came to our church meetings a couple times. She started reading a Bible because she heard like I want to read one. And then she came up to talk to me after a Sunday, never having read the Bible before. I wasn't a Christian, and she's like, "I'm getting really scared here." I'm reading. She started in Genesis, and she starts reading about like a talking snake. Um, mm-hmm. The flood, you know, like we, we, we forget when you're reading about the flood, you know, as a kid growing up, you, you think about, uh, I'm talking about Noah's, the flood in Noah and Genesis 
seven and eight, seven and eight, um, is that we think like the animals on the ark, but when you're reading it for the first time, you're thinking about God killed many, many people. Like we don't know, the, yeah. depending on how you interpret the range of the flood, but, and she was reading this and she's like, I'm really kind of nervous. I don't know if I want to continue because I thought, I hear you talking about Jesus and love and compassion and forgiveness. And now I'm reading all of these things that sound totally in contradiction to that God of love that you're talking about and some of the strange things. And that's a person that's inside, outside of the faith. These questions come up. Um, mm-hmm. Slavery, violence, you know, verses that seem very anti-science, um, a lot of anti-women type of things, polygamy. I mean, it just goes on and on and on when you really start reading that. And I think the church, for Christians growing up in the church, what's happened is we focused um, understandably, on a lot of the nice stories and the good stories mm-hmm. and a lot about mm-hmm. you know Jesus and the parables and certain things that you hear in the Sermon sure. on the Mount. No one can really argue with the Sermon on the Mount. You know, like, so there's these teachings that are beautiful and wonderful and true, but many Christians grew up not really stopping to think about, well, what about when God ordered the slaughtering of different people groups? And I'm not saying that in a hyperbole. There's my understanding of looking at the scriptures is God at times did order killing. It's hard to even say the cross was violent or how do you make sense of these verses that talk about women being silent and going home and asking their husbands questions. And so for the Christians growing up, there started being the, not just the nice verses, the, the, the difficult sounding ones are being pointed out. Like in the book I raised up, I put a lot of the pictures of the memes that you'll see. And now, you know, on TikTok, there's so many videos that are pointing out all of these things in the Bible. And that's what's leading to, I think, a lot of confusion, understandable confusion today. And that's why I end up writing this, because we have to look at the Bible and really look at it, because we can't ignore these parts anymore, because people aren't ignoring those parts anymore. And when they be brought out, people are caught off guard, and they don't know how to answer. Yeah. Well, let's get into a little bit of that. I know we only have about a half an hour, 45 minutes, so we can't fully treat even one of these with all the texts and all of that. But I do want to ask, like you, you list in your subtitle, making sense of the seemingly anti-women parts of scripture. So I'll just ask straight up, yes. is the Bible anti-women? There are definitely anti-women stories, and there are definitely anti-women characters in the Bible. And there's things that Women were abused, concubines, polygamy, men overpowering women, 100%. Those stories are in there. However, when you read through them, they are not God-directed stories. They're human beings that men in, uh, you know, in the fallen nature and before they were taking to heart some of the scriptures and understanding what God wants, um, abused women, and there's all of those kind of stories that are in there. So looking at those in isolation, you can make a conclusion that, you know, the Bible is very anti-women. However, if you read the pre-fall story of Adam and Eve in the garden, it was men and women in equality. Then what we Mm. call the fall occur, you know, which was when humans, one of the rebellions that humans had, but it changed the relationship of human beings to, with each other and God. You then immediately saw um, man, most likely because of his strength and his power, overpowering women rape, uh, polygamy, all of this stuff, concubines, all of this stuff started happening after that. Then Jesus appears on the scene and you start seeing him then. Now God never, this is really important. You don't see God saying, go get yourself a bunch of concubines. Uh, That's 
basically went like a harem for for women you know or go go marry 15 women i'm all for it like you don't see that endorsed or commanded by god that's human beings doing things of their own accord so that's a really important distinction though it's recorded in the scriptures it doesn't mean god was endorsing certain things in the scriptures and that's because people pull out verses and say look what you know look what the bible says Yep, that story's in there. It's the sad story of when a human being or more went against God's guidance for us. But then back to the women, you look at the New Testament, you see Jesus starting to treat women differently. The witnesses at the, who are the first witnesses at the tomb? Women. Never, you'd never see that before. Jesus breaking some of the, the taboos that were established by the Jewish community that were about um, how men and women were relating to each other. You even see Paul changing things. You, you see this trajectory starting to happen. And yes, there are very problematic sounding verses. Uh, but then when you start looking at them in their broader context, they don't, they're not as spiky as they sometimes are used against women. All right. That's a, so you have to look at the trajectory of the entire Bible, what's going on. And I would say you see the New Testament bringing women back up into the equality of value with man and woman, not, you know, two genders still, but um, it's beautiful what you start seeing happening. And then it continued. Uh, so, all right, each of these topics, we could talk an hour. So I'm kind of giving you yeah, a Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I know it's almost unfair, summary. but I just want a full disclosure for the listener. Obviously, when I ask, does the Bible demean women? We're both Christian pastors who believe the Bible does not demean women. <laughs> so, so yes. even asking the question, it's not a disingenuous question. It's it, a disingenuous question. It's more, how can we think of these texts in a right way if yeah. we're really looking for the truth? A very quick example about the women one. It's like, say, in 1 Corinthians 13, you'll see, you'll see verses that are pulled up and it'll say, like, women, I'm, I'm quoting this off the top of my head, so I might have a little bit of it wrong. Women oh, yeah, 14, uh, I think. must be, I'm 14, right, be silent in the church. Um, it is improper, it is a disgrace, I think the New International Version says, for a woman to speak up in a church, she must go home and ask her husband the questions there. Like, yeah. So you read that and you look at that like 100%. That is horrible. Look, that's that's teaching in scripture about what to do. Women be silent in the in the church. Don't yeah, speak what do you up. Do with that? It's a disgrace. So you, if you're now, what some people do is they pull that out a verse improperly. Like like, look, there's the command. You shouldn't obey that. Or I mean, so you should obey that. And you can take a verse and then make a whole case around it why you then should be obeying that. When someone says that, I'll just go back to like, when's the last time in the church setting you've walked up to someone and greeted them with a kiss? Because four, three or four times in the scriptures as a command, it says, greet each other with a holy kiss. And they don't, of course, you know, they, uh, they'll handshake or give a hug or something. And I'm like, yeah. it's not quite as simple as just raising something. And when you look at 1 Corinthians 14, you go back to chapter 11, and you'll see that in chapter 11, Paul is talking to women about praying and prophesying in the church. So there must be something more going on to it. And that is what I just want to say. When you, And that's what Bible study becomes alive and fun, because you, you, I, so, um, something I say is never read a Bible verse, because you always have to pull it out and look at the broader context and see what how that Bible verse is playing out in the letter it was written to, the New Testament, Old Testament, yeah. pre-cross, post-cross, uh, you know, I all, all of these things. Never read yep. a Bible verse. Like, as a in guy named Greg Kokel, one by itself. Yep, yeah. 
he came up with that saying, he's like an apologist guy, and he and I uh, use that phrase. Same thing, like John Walton, the Old Testament professor, you know, he writes, the Bible was written for us, but not to us. That's another really important thing. Corinthians was not written uh, to us. We're not in the Corinthian church in AD 55 or whatever it was. You know, we are in our time period in a different culture. So we have to remember, we learn from these things, and it's 100% fully inspired words for the Holy Spirit, use people to write the scriptures as we have them. But we have to put the effort into looking at who is originally written to and why and when. What is something that we apply for ourselves today? What are principles that we may learn? What are things that had to do with the situation that was going on then that doesn't apply for us today? Okay, That takes so effort help us. and it's beautiful. Yeah, the effort. Help us with that effort, because I'm hearing maybe some further right conservative pushback to what you're saying. Like, how? why do we treat some biblical instruction as to be completely obeyed as it's written? And mm-hmm. uh, other biblical instruction appears to be only partially obeyed. Like you just brought up, greet, another, greet one another with a holy kiss. We intuitively treat that as partially to be obeyed. So instead of a holy yep. kiss, we'll give someone a side hug at church. <laughs> um, right. So what's maybe maybe rather than going through every single command and telling us what to think, like give us a tool on how to differentiate. Okay, the, this command is to be completely obeyed. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm-hmm. But these commands over here, don't eat shellfish or greet one another exactly with a kiss on the lips. Right. That's to be partially obeyed or obeyed in some wisdom sense that we can culturally appropriate, and, or not appropriate, but culturally condition. Yes. Like, what's, how do it's we like, distinguish between those? Yeah, and it's, I mean, I don't want to say it's simple, um, but it is basically, see, we've been taught, I guess, depending on what particular church background one has, or maybe one doesn't have, so they don't even realize it at all, is you'll see criticism about the scriptures, and you'll see memes or on, on uh TikTok and things, pulling out something like you just said, like, you know, Christians are hypocritical. It says, don't eat shellfish. You're eating shrimp. You, you know, you're disobeying or you're picking and choosing verses and, and things. What The key to understanding the Bible is also understanding that it is not a book like we read books normally. It is a library of books, a library like you walk into an ancient library and you'll go over the left side and maybe there's some poetry books. You're going to pull them out. And when were they written and to who? And you'll read them as poetry, still with the scriptures, fully inspired poetry. And you're going to read them differently than you would if you go over to a law book. And maybe that was written 500 years later. You know, like, uh, and you have to understand that the Bible is not a single book like we're looking at it. It was compiled. And it, when you start looking at like a library, it really helps you because if you're pulling different books off the shelves of a library, depending on when they were written, why they're written, to whom, what genre, it's going to, you'll get, interpret them differently. So, um, you know, that, and that's a simple Bible study method that is just putting into place of analyzing the scriptures like that. And the other big one is also that the Bible is a story, and I, in the, the How Not to Read the Bible book and others that I've taken this from, you break down the Bible into like six, usually, acts, like A-C-T-S, you know, mm-hmm. um, when you look at the storyline, you'll see that there's, you know, a story, a section pre when human beings rebelled against God, human beings related to God differently in the garden. That's why you'll see in Genesis, uh, all right, is it one or two, two, when it says, basically be vegetarian, right? So 
I can pull mm-hmm. that verse out. It's uh, it's Genesis two something uh, somewhere in Genesis two. Genesis two twenty nine. I give you every seed bearing plant for food. Mm-hmm. And so you could pull that out from Act One of the Bible and say, look, if you eat meat, you're veget- you are going against Scripture. Clearly, it's saying just eat ve- veg- vegetarian. I've seen that in a vegetarian uh, promotion. Like, here's why you should be a vegetarian. They read a Genesis verse. So, so I would ask Christians, why are you disobeying God if you've eaten any meat lately? And then you have to say in Act 2 of the storyline of the scriptures, God changes that. And now he says, like I gave you every green plant for food, you can now eat everything. So there's a change. And if we're only reading Act 1 without understanding what happens in Act 2, we might be disobe- we're not following through what God has done. The cross plays a major part. So, you know, pre-cross, post-cross, even pre-Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit and building people, uh, post-Acts chapter 2. So when you read the storyline, anything you read, you need to look at it, where is it in the storyline to make sense? And then all of these things start to make sense so much better when you understand the li- it's a library it is a uh, like it's divided up into a story of like six major acts you could say, um, and and those type of principles uh, yeah. really all of a sudden it, it changes everything. So what I'm hearing you say is the Bible, as the acts progress, mm-hmm. later acts interpret prior acts. Is yes. that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah. And it's so the my old question on that. Had, okay. So oh, go ahead. I was going to say, you read in Act, you know, this would be Act 2, uh, you know, when redemption, that we would have to be sacrificing animals. So we'd be going into the, we can look at commands, go and sacrifice animals, right? We don't do that today because Jesus came, and in that story, part of the storyline, it changes. We no longer have to sacrifice animals because he was the sacrificed sacrifice. We no longer have to have a priest, a human priest, like we did before then, in that storyline, if you're obeying the command then, you'd have to be interacting with a priest to have access to God. After Jesus and then the Holy Spirit came, we then are all priests with Jesus as our high priest. So you have to then be looking at where in the story are we reading these bits of the Bible from to then make sense of them. Because you can say, then you're not obeying the Bible if you're not sacrificing animals today. Because I can show you a verse where it says to do that. You got to look broader than that. Yeah. So, okay, this comes up against a question I hear in a lot of conversations with. I mentioned conservative pushback. I, I'll get progressive pushback uh, on this because, like you said, the, the later acts interpret prior acts. So you have Jesus saying, "Now I declare all foods clean. You can eat bacon now, or whatever." Yep. And 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 you have the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 saying. You know, let's not require circumcision for Gentiles to belong at the family table of Jesus. So they're actually changing the inter... They're not changing... They're not destroying the scriptures. <laughs> they're actually rightly interpreting it. So my question for you is, what would you, what would you say to those who say, yeah, we are priests still. Now we're priests. We can keep doing what Paul did. We can keep going back and reinterpreting now. So it's like, is... is is the, does the Bible have its own self-contained way of reading all of the commands, or do we still progress in our interpretations? Why or why not? I mean, there's certain that things clear? that develop 
I think so. I mean, there's certain things that develop through maybe archaeology or things that we may not have understood before. I don't see it as like, you know, the Holy Spirit is now taking us in a direction that would be in contradiction to something in the new, you know, post-New Jesus there teachings for us of that how to live. Sense. Yeah, and because that would be an oppos- opposite contradiction, and it wouldn't make sense because God does not lie, the Scriptures say, so the Holy Spirit would not bring us into a contradictory thing that the Holy Spirit told us to do after the resurrection of Jesus and the Spirit now in, in those who put faith in him. Yeah. There's no sense. indication uh, that there's going to be change later or something like that at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on, so a little bit of a pivot to more more personal. I would love to hear from from Dan Kimball. So picture the picture the young Gen Z just watched a TikTok video. They're like, I just mm-hmm. saw the TikTok video that will undo Christianity. This is the question no one's asked, and they really feel right, like yeah. this is so right. challenging. And so they have this they have this challenge, and and they have this challenge. And rather than railing on that Gen Z and having an answer, I, I'm. Right. What if you were to step into their shoes and and what's one part of the Bible Dan Kimball is still losing sleep over? Oh, they, well, I can and, say and, this. I mean, having and, s- and then yeah. the second part is, and what do you do about that? Like, so there's a part of the Bible Dan Kimball still losing sleep over, and then part two is, and what what do you do? about that studying the scriptures for over 30 years now and um well one is i was i'm trying to find this in in, uh, my uh it's like uh, mere christianity i have to find the page but c.s lewis has this great quote i should have marked it here i wasn't thinking of pulling it out but he wrote he wrote something or he said something in the talk that was put into the writing here he said that the more he wrote, he gave this lecture in the '40s, I think it was, and then it was put into the written format for *Mere Christianity*. He says something to the sort of the more oh, theology is important. The more information that is out there with technology at the time, televisions were being introduced into homes, which was you know never heard of that radio. There was newspaper, but the technology was changing, and more informa- mm-hmm. people had access to information more. C.S. Lewis writes, the more that is occurring and the more ideas that are being out there, the more we have to be theologians because the more ideas that are out there, the more, and this is what he calls bad ideas are going to be out there about Mm -hmm. God. And then he says some quote, which I was going to try to read. He says something like, there are ideas that seem so fresh and new because people haven't heard them before, but they've actually been old ones tried and tested by theologians of the past to be proven untrue, but they all seem fresh and new today uh, because you've Mm -hmm. never heard them before. I think that's happened a lot. Like, I never heard this. Look, it's been in there and there's like some secret thing that suddenly people are discovering things because now they're being pointed out. And so they seem fresh and new takes when most of them really aren't. You can, uh, and that's where academics has a great, you know, place because you can find their no, this was this was you know forty years ago. They had a, there were several books on this topic. You just never heard about it. It's already been addressed. It's not this fresh idea that you now can or disprove something. Fourteen hundred years from. ago, yeah, fourteen hundred. Right. So, yeah, uh, I'm not sure. So if given you that, your question. Given, given that, yeah, given that they're, yeah, 
TikTok person aside, what is a part of the Bible Dan Kimball is still losing sleep over? Oh, so, and, yeah. And, I mean, and then what's a faithful, to, yeah. and then what do you do with that at that point? What's the right thing that you like to do with that when you lose sleep over that? Yeah, I would say the number one thing for me and I um, would be the violence that is used in the scriptures um, because there is a lot of violence in the scriptures and there is a lot because I believe in the 100% inspiration of the scriptures. I don't believe that the Israelites rewrote things or created a God to try to be, you know, uh, which is being said today. There's people, and I'd say in the more progressive world, uh, to use that Mm -hmm. term, that'll start saying that, you know, the violence in the Old Testament especially was Israel, God never commanded those things. They were what the people wanted to portray their God as to be heroic over other people groups, or they wanted a conquering God, so they, they put these things in. In my opinion, once you do that, I can't trust the Bible at all. I mean, it's almost like it'd be I'd become an agnostic if I had to hold that those theory with um, logical of how the Bible is put together and the inspiration of it all. So, but the biggest struggle that I personally will always have is why did God choose to use violence at times when He didn't? When maybe He could have done it other ways. I don't know. It goes against what I would personally think about with violence. However, I also know by knowing the whole story of God in the Bible, right? I, I do this in our church all the time. The whole story. I'm holding mm-hmm. up my Bible like wide open now. Is mm-hmm. that then I see actually God was compassionate. And you see his compassion, patience, kindness, begging for people to turn, warnings. Like whenever these violence occurred, there's warnings there is please turn. There's sections where he's crying out. I, I hate, you know, I forget the words. I take no pleasure in, in using violence or something like that. You know, there's the sense of warnings, compassion, kindness, love, and all of a sudden it's framed differently. And it's not this God who is violent and just randomly will use violence against things. We're warned about it and it's there. And it's probably the thing, if you had to say what, why I wish I had a more clear answer, was why didn't God just change all, the, all their minds and not have to use violence? And I don't know that, but I just know that I trust God, and I just know then that's what had to happen if that's what he chose to do in those situations. But that would yeah. probably be the biggest thing. Yeah, and so what I'm hearing you do with that is you just choose trust. I trust, um, but I also made sure... See, here's what happened. Sometimes when I speak, I do this. I'll show... Um, somebody that's listening can look this up. There's a video. It's 60 seconds on YouTube called Scary Mary. You ever seen that? No. Uh, maybe. I can't remember right, right now. I, it, it's a great thing to like show in your church sometime or something. Else. It's a 60-second video. Someone took Mary Poppins and they just oh, took yes, out yes, yes. little pieces of it that was like Mary staring at the other nannies applying and they all go blowing away. Or na- Mary looking stern and then the kid goes up the chimney. Mary you know, or the, the closet gets locked and then her head twists around at some point and they put some eerie music to it. And then they say, um, the ending goes like, scary Mary, hide your children. And I play that and I'll use like, wait a minute. Now, did they show, was that all in the movie? Yes, there are little clips of it. But is, is Mary scary? Like she was there to help the family. You know, like she's like a heroic in the family, but they pulled out just isolated bits without seeing the whole and then if you only focus on those isolated bits, then you have a caricature of someone that is not who that person is. 
and I know you can't relate that to the old, you know, God, like a movie clip, but what I know is the more you read the scriptures, you'll see compassionate, loving, kind, patience, God, over and over and over and over again, which then changes it from this vicious God who uses violence. Um, at times he did, but boy, the God that you read and learn about is loving, kind, patient, forgiving over and over and over and over again. Jesus forgiving over and over and over again. Like we, I can't imagine like the kindness and compassion what I would be like in my life if I didn't have that grace and forgiveness knowing him. Mm. And that's the God that I know, knowing the yeah. whole story. What a great, what a great uh, metaphor, the Scary Mary video. I want to go and check it out after this interview. <laughs> yep. um, so uh, another one for you. What's one, if you have one, what's one part of the Bible that you've kind of rethought and you have a different take on even from 10 years ago? Or maybe it's a yeah. doctrine that you had that you just absorbed in your early yeah. Christianity and, and now you're like, whoa, I think sure. totally differently now. I'd say a, a bunch. I mean, in fact, you and I talked about this very thing a couple months ago and we were talking about like, um, you know, what are the things that, I'm going to use this word in a healthy way. I know it can be twisted and used in unhealthy ways, but when I say the inerrancy of Scripture, what I mean by that is that in the beginning, the Spirit through different people and the personalities and all of that wrote down exactly what God wanted to, like through a whole, um, uh, something like, not a literal dictation and certain things, but say like, there... And I think what we can do is there's things that when I first was reading the Bible and depending on what I was reading, you know, I thought, boy, there must be only one way to understand the creation account, you know, and just looked at Genesis 1 and 2, very factual, literal, and like, this is how it must have happened. And then as I start studying and then who was Genesis written to and why and and all of this, I'm like, boy, it, it might not be quite as simplistic of a reading as I thought. There's other good ways that people who hold to the inerrancy of Scripture, in a good way of saying this, have come to different conclusions on that. They still believe God created everything, so it wasn't a natural, random, no-God-involved creation, but there's different ways he may have done it. That Something like that has you know, changed. Um, the end times, where, you know, like there's... When I first was became a Christian, it was pre-trib, pre-millennial rapture world like you know if you didn't believe that you didn't take the bible seriously you know, like and right and so i had kind of a locked in belief with that and then over time and reading and studying and then finding out church history and different things that th- those that hold to the inerrancy of scripture still come to some different conclusions on that and so there's other ways of looking at it not just that one specific way so that's what i've learned is that there are some things that God knows which one's true, like, you know, uh, which might be the right, exactly what happened. Um, But we then don't know some of those things. So I think through age and time, I focus on what do those who hold to, I keep saying this, um, and I know this is not all the topic, the inerrancy of scripture, those that hold to that, what are the things that everybody agrees on? And what are the Mm -hmm. things that there's some differences on? And then enjoy those differences you know don't don't divide about them or fight about them it may mean you go to different churches if one wants women in ministry and one doesn't think women should be in ministry but don't 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 call each other out on those things because it's not 100 percent clear um, that's why there's some debate on those with those who hold to the inerrancy of scripture then there are other things that people are believing in different ways 
when you move away from, and I keep saying this, I almost feel old school, like you move away from the inerrancy of scripture, all of a sudden you, you could come to all kinds of conclusions and yeah. um, because you don't have that base anymore in that way. So then, uh, then, and that's a whole different discussion. So things like that, end times, uh, creation account, you know, understanding there's so many things like that that I've loosened up on, but still hold on to the, the, the absolute truth that everybody would agree on. Yeah. So I have so many directions I could take the last few minutes of this. Uh, like three lines of questions came, out, came to my mind out of what you just okay. said. So I'm going to follow the last one because I'm an anagram seven and probably ADHD. <laughs> okay. So inerrancy, you kept saying uh, inerrancy in a good way. Mm-hmm. Inerrancy yeah. in a good way. What's the bad yes. way and the good way? What do you mean the by that? The bad way is to look at it like God dictated everything through each person who he used to write the scriptures, and then you are to take everything written as a dictation with no understanding of personality, context, culture of the time, of what that person would have been writing through, where the human personality and their experience, the Spirit of God was then writing through them, or to who it was written. And there can be a rigid sense of saying that, I take everything literally when some things are meant to be literal written and some things are not literal. They might be poetic or different genres. uh, And that's what I mean. I see. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned creation and rapture. Uh, That's always my answer to that question. (laughs) Like the Mm -hmm. first and the last books of the Bible went through the first major renovations for me as I studied further. But um, but the center got got stronger with Christ. No, and sometimes those are then they, you know, I'll say like my unfolding. I just read it this morning on somebody's Instagram thing. You know, my deconstruction happened from thinking that it has to be a six-day young earth creation or something like that. I'm like, okay, it's good to understand that, but that leads to an abandonment of faith, you know, or or whatever. Like, um, so those things, and you know, what's set here's what we try to do in our church at least is teach the different views. We're teaching about the end times in a couple weeks not correlated with the current news. It just happened to be what we're going into. And uh, I'm going to give the various views throughout history and say, mm-hmm. here's what's developed. And here's, you know, so that there's a broader picture of how do these different views come into place and when and through what streams of the Christian church did these views get first brought into our understanding and show there's several different views of this, of the end times. So it's, yeah. and, and teach the different so ones. So good. Man, I want to tune in for that. Oh, so just a few more questions. We have a couple more minutes, right? Just want to honor your yes. time. Um, so I'd love to hear you. You're such a good pastor. You're not just, um, not just, but you're not uh, only a professional theologian. You're on the ground with people walking through their lives, walking through their relational difficulties and all that. So I'd love to hear your answer to this question. 2024 is going to be a beast. I want to ask this of all the people that we interview. So in our hyper-polarized culture, how would you encourage the church to navigate the issues? Like, So speak to a group of people who just love Jesus, but how do we be disciples in a wildly partisan moment? I mean, I for me, and as I... Uh, I was even asked this once in a newspaper, which I'd rarely ever mention anything like on a newspaper asking even about political things or stuff... Uh, it was just like when you study the scriptures, you start finding out what are the va- values that 
Jesus has and what are the teachings that we are to be following as followers of Jesus. And then if you really focus on those, you know, and then almost like things with voting and there's always going to be like, you know, the, this person has this or this person has this, but it's just like if you're, if you're attuned to the full scriptures, and I, 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 we could talk about this and I'll just say this, and this may, some people might not like me saying this, but um, I don't like when people say I'm a red letter Christian. Uh, mm. As you've heard, I don't know if you do. Do you? I mean, I don't know what you say. Like, I understand I mean, the sentiment of it. I'm a red as, letter as Christian. If to say, as if to say, the other letters that aren't red are not as much the voice of Jesus, because I disagree with that completely. Yes, the whole well, Bible comes see. to us. As, yeah. yeah, the whole scripture. I, yeah, that's a big point we've made in this series is that the whole scripture comes to us. Jesus trusted the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, and he entrusted the entirety of the New Testament to his followers, and all. No carries the authority of Jesus to the church. You bet. And Paul, like, you know, like, you're like, I, I'm just going to, I mean, you see this all the time. I'm just going to follow what Jesus talked about, not what Paul did. I'm like, well, Paul was actually like commissioned by the, by Jesus to represent him. The spirit of God wrote through Paul. Peter acknowledges that Paul's letters are scriptures and even says they're difficult to understand. So it's like, so you can't reject Paul's, Paul isn't Jesus, but without knowing Paul's writings about Jesus, I say this, this could be a big debate issue, so we get to talk another hour. But, you know, I'm going to say you really don't know the full Jesus if you're not reading what, what the Spirit of God wrote through Paul also. And I, I say that because often in these seasons of, like, next year, you'll hear a lot about Jesus says, but they ignore these other parts of the Holy Spirit-inspired mm-hmm. scriptures too. And I just say, know the fullness of of what the scriptures say and in, and then be looking at what what less goes against those things, you know, because not, nothing's perfect in that way. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but... Yeah, um, I, I mean, f- I'm hearing you say, you know, the way of Jesus, you know, is not all the noise of the partisan power playing, but it's the voice of Paul who carries the authority of Jesus. It's the voice of Peter who carries the voice of Jesus. It's the voice of Jesus. <laughs> um, well, I, yeah, with and with that, I was just, like, for me, again, I'm, thinking, I'm talking out loud right now as I speak, so I hope I say right things. You know, I want to be with next year, and we're talking about politics and those things. I'd say, like, who's, where, where do you see alignment with the you know, with what are the policies and things that are going on that are going to be in alignment with as much of the New Testament teachings as possible and not yeah. and not trying to battle them or prove them wrong or to quiet down the ability and the freedom that all religious groups would have to speak about what their sacred texts say. So, again, we're going into a whole other area that, that would be sure, another sure. hour. But, um, that, but here's what I say. we got to stop reacting everybody, all Christians, everybody, to like kind of surfacey sort of quick reactions to Bible verses or this or that and make conclusions. Mm. Because then we're, we we could paint pictures of who Jesus is that is very different from the full Jesus of the entire New Testament based on a couple yep. of verses that we might happen to like or someone oh, wow. says. And that's why I agree with C.S. Lewis in the 40s who said theology is important more than ever today because the more information that's out there, the more biblically literate we need to be if we want to be thinking through life the way we're supposed to. It was easier to be a Christian 
in years past because there wasn't as many challenges to faith, you know, and no one saw it as an up, you know, like you could say you're a Christian and no one was like, oh, that's a bad thing, where today it can be a bad thing. And I do think there's an interesting phenomenon going on where a lot of Christians, if you're, all right, boy, I don't, all right, I'll, I'll kind of conclude yeah. with this because I could, I could go and go and go on this. I think what's happening is there's a lot of Christians who, if you don't, um, if you're not grounded, not in the activity of a church or this, or the emotional feelings that you get from music, which is powerful, and you as a musician, you know this, like, you know, beyond that, because those are important. Um, but if you're not grounded personally in, in by the Holy Spirit. And not just the emotional sense of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit grounding you. Who the Holy Spirit is the author of the Scriptures through people. If we're not grounding ourselves in the Holy Spirit written Scriptures, there's a lot of talk about Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Who wrote the Scriptures? The Holy Spirit wrote the Scriptures through people. Mm -hmm. So the Scriptures mm -hmm. are of the Holy Spirit through people and their personalities. Then we should be diving into the Scriptures as much as we want to be singing songs to have, you know, that part of things. But what I'm saying is that. If when that gets shaken and all of a sudden it's not comfortable to be a Christian anymore, and all of a sudden holding on to historical beliefs about Christianity, whether it's the exclusivity of Jesus for salvation or all the sexual issues that are being uh, challenged about the historical view of faith today, all of a sudden, if I'm not truly grounded in the depth of my confidence being in this, what the Holy Spirit gave us in Scripture, I may start caving, uh, what's the word, in other words, caving in, um, by not wanting to be a hated person or not wanting to be an uncomfortable, all of a sudden I'm shifting my views or my understanding because it's difficult today. And that's why I do believe we need to be more biblically illiterate so that we can have the confidence, not just based on church activity or human participation in different things of the Christians do versus really grounded in the spirit uni unifying us with the the living Jesus, but the Jesus we know is uh, he spoke to us from the scriptures. So that's how we know mm. what he wants us to live like. All right. And that's why I think we're seeing almost a shake up in many ways, because yeah. it's not I easy agree. being a Christian anymore. And that's yeah. why we need to be biblically more literate, like you're focusing on in your church. If I'm in San Diego, I'm going to be there every Sunday listening to you up there speak. I'll be sitting up in the front. So if I'm in San Diego, I'd want to be with you down there. Well, Dan, I admire I, you very much. I hope you know. I, I admire you, I admire very you much and, honestly yeah. so much. And I can't think of a better note to end on. That was the grand finale answer to a question for this interview. And uh, for those of you that don't know, Dan, uh, his church kind of created the, the, the slide deck that we use at our new members class, our basics class, like the essential doctrines and ethics of Christianity and the way that the concentric circles go out that like that kind of originated with you, Dan, seeing the need for clarity around what Christianity historically is. And I thank you for putting in that work and for sharing the wealth of orthodoxy and orthopraxy, both you know the doctrines and ethics of Jesus, and, and sharing them in a way that makes sense uh, and can be communicated in one podcast sitting kind of thing. Yeah. So thank you for that. I appreciate you so much. And um, church, this is... Uh, just we're going to keep interviewing folks and hearing from different people all over the place how they are are talking through what it means to to relearn and keep learning how to read and trust this library of documents called the Bible that Jesus trusted and then entrusted to his church. So 
Um, grace and peace.